you're listening to Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile Natalie Mason, and we're coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Hi, Justine. Hi, Natalie. How are you today? Oh, you know, I'm feeling taller than usual. Oh, that's a plus. <laughs> yeah. It's a good day when I wake up feeling tall. Uh, today we're talking about Melbourne books. They're my favourite books. I, I like love, them too. I know. love this city. I know, same. Love this it's city. Home. I am really pleased to introduce our special guest in the studio today, Christine Gordon. Yay! Christine is the events manager at Readings Bookshops. Readings recently won the International Bookshop of the Year Award or the Best Bookshop in the World Award. As we as like to I call it. I prefer to call it. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Christine. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> we are so excited for you and for Readings. It's such a wonderful award. And hey, you got to go to London. I did get to go to London thanks to the City of Literature uh, Travel Fund and it was fantastic to be there. Yes. It really was. But London's not Melbourne, so well, that's the true truth. That's true, so we can't talk about it anymore. No, okay. not, in this, not in this episode, no. <laughs> All right, well, before we get started, we want to remind you that we'd love to hear what you've been reading, so please do tweet us at Library. that's at M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y with the hashtag Dear Reader, and you can download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. And all the books we mention on the show today will be listed in our show notes. We'll pop them on our Goodreads page. And you can find that via our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au on the read page. All right, let's go. Let's start talking about the best city <laughs> in the world. Justine, you are first. Okie dokie. Well, my first pick for today is a book called Earthly Delights by well-known author Kerry Greenwood. So most people will probably know um, Kerry Greenwood's Briny Fisher series. It was the. It's been made into a TV series, the Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries uh, series, mm-hmm. which was okay. Um, but this is a different series that she's written, and it's uh, Earthly Delights is the first in the series. It's based around a character called Karina Chapman, and it's set in the 1990s in the Melbourne of my high school days, which I just adore reminiscing about. So uh, baking is an alchemical process for Karina Chapman. At 4 a.m., she starts work at Earthly Delights, her bakery in Calico Alley. Melbourne. I wish that alley existed so badly. I think it's based on Centre Place. Mm. Yep. I think so too. Uh, So one morning, Karina receives a threatening note saying, the wages of sin is death, and finds a syringe in her cat's paw. A blue-faced junkie has collapsed in the dark alley and a mysterious man with beautiful eyes appears with a plan for Karina and her bread. Then it is Goths, dead drug addicts, witchcraft, a homeless boy and a missing girl, and it seems she will never get those muffins cooked in time. I love this series. Um, it's quite similar in a way, in a lot of ways to the Franny Fisher series. The main character is a feisty, independent woman who does things her way, no highway option. There are recipes dotted throughout the book, and I've actually tried some of them, like the Impossible Pie, uh, which is absolutely delicious, and is I it, definitely recommend it. Is it possible? It's totally possible, okay. Natalie. <laughs> um, Karina is a great protagonist. She's a plus-plus sized baker who used to be an accountant but ditched the CPA, the cheating ex-husband and the stressful life for yeast muffins, uh, 4am rises and 3pm gin and tonics. Um, It's an excellent mystery novel with a large dollop of humour. The characters are well fleshed out, varied and eclectic and they each play their parts well. The plot is full of intrigue and suspense with some delightful twists to keep you guessing but nothing too terrible or graphic, rather more of the cosy mystery variety. The Melbourne that is laid out here is that of the John Howard era 
era. And it's really interesting to reread it and hear about things like um, the, you know, the Telstra Dome and <laughs> um, Philip Ruddock and, you know, all these different names that are dotted throughout that just give you a bit of a nostalgia for the, that, you know, era, which is about 20 years ago now. So it's a while ago. Oh, dear goodness. 20 I, years I, ago. I know. It sounds so far away and yet it doesn't seem like it was. Anyway, I love this whole series and I definitely recommend it to anybody who likes a good, cosy Melbourne mystery. So that's Earthly Delights by Kerry Greenwood. Good choice. Mm. Christine, what's your first Melbourne book? Well, following on from the food theme of you, I think that I'm going to talk about a non-fiction book by a wonderful uh, Melbourne author, Richard Cornish. Now, you might know him because you might perhaps read Epicure or you have a cookbook that's been co-written by him, perhaps Movida. Mm. And so he's written a book that's just coming out in August 2016, uh, called My Year Without Meat. And the thing that is about Richard is if you followed his work at all, you know that this is a man that adores meat. Mm -hmm. So there he is one day, he's driving along the sort of highways of the country, Victoria, heading towards Melbourne, heading towards his family, and next to him on the car seat, he has a roast beef. Uh, it's cooked, it smells delicious, and he decides as he's driving along that he will just pull off one piece. And he does that and it's succulent and it's fantastic. And then he pulls off another piece. And before he knows it, he's pulled over on the side of the road, this country sort of, you know, outskirts of Melbourne on this country road, and he is just eating this leg of meat with both hands, with Gusto, and he realises that he has a problem. So he decides right there and then to have a whole year without meat. Now, this is a bloke that is involved in the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, that is a judge on the best sausage kind of barbecues, that is constantly on the hunt for the most beautifully farmed pork or lamb or beef. But no, in this book, he decides to take a year off. And this is the story of it. So he goes out and he is surprised by what sort of response he gets. He's surprised by the restaurants that actually don't have any options for vegetarians. He's surprised when he goes into a bakery and asks for a vegetarian pasty that actually it has meat in it. And mm -hmm. when he goes back into the shop, the woman says, but it's mainly vegetables. Yep. He is yep. <laughs> so familiar to me. And he talks about the, you know, the response that he gets from his readers and, you know, because he's writing this sort of, you know, a column all the time each week in, in Epicure, uh, in the Good Foods, in The Age, and he's talking about it all the time. So what he learns in this year is that, of course, he looks better for it. He loses six kilos. Uh, he realises that... A lot of the craze for vegetarian and vegan is about the push for, for restaurants to start providing cheaper meals. Uh, and actually, if you have meat as your main source and you are using the right type of ethical meat, then this is not possible to have a cheap meal. Mm -hmm. uh, he talks about 
uh, his interviews with different farmers he, and graziers. He talks about the response that he gets from his family. And at the very end of the book, uh, not unlike your book, he does have some recipes. And what is terrific about someone like Richard is he says, not all these recipes are good for you. Most of them are completely loaded with butter. <laughs> but it's true that they're meatless. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is what he used to keep the year going for him. It's actually an interesting account of where we are now in our food craze, mm-hmm. kind of Melbourne. You know, this is we're known as the city that eats and drinks. And here he is doing if you like, an expose on the industry. I love his writing. Oh, and he's I'm, funny. He's funny. And he's self-deprecating, Which and I like that. Perfect. My Year Without Meat by Richard Cornish, uh, published by Melbourne University Press, coming out in August 2016. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah. Natalie, what's your first choice for Melbourne books? I'm going to talk about a book that has nothing to do with food. Oh, that's, oh, a, that's actually know. a first for Natalie. Is, is, that, is, is that Melbourne then? Well, there's not even a cat <laughs> in it, so I don't even know why I loved it so much. <laughs> I'm kidding. I loved this book. I'm going to talk about Cairo by Chris Womersley. Chris is an Australian writer, lives in Melbourne. Cairo is his third novel. It was released in 2013. This book is lovely. Mm. Isn't it lovely? You both really read gorgeous. it. You're nodding. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely lovely. I was captivated. It, I it was a page turner. I was totally there. So the story revolves around a young man called Tom Button. This has an adorable name. Why would you not love Tom Button? Um, he lives a bit of a frustrated life in the country. He's struggling through his final year of high school. He and his best friend David have this plan to escape to Europe and go and live an arty and free life. And at some point, his best friend takes an apprenticeship with the local electrician. And Tom feels very sad. And they're like he's been betrayed, pretty much. And so he feels, well, instead of going overseas, I haven't saved up enough money. I'm just going to go to Melbourne and do an arts degree at Melbourne Uni. Like, what is more Melbourne than that? Perfect. It's 1986 Melbourne, so it's... And it's done so well. Um, so Tom moves into his recently deceased aunt's one-bedroom apartment in the absolutely gorgeous Art Deco Cairo apartment building on Nicholson Street in Fitzroy. Once he moves in, Tom meets and is befriended by some of his more eccentric neighbours and he falls in with this close-knit circle of painters and poets. It's a bohemian world all of a sudden and Tom is dragged from art galleries to parties and back again. He falls in love with an older and married woman and experiences all that unrequited love has to offer. It's initially hard to see what the group see in Tom. He's so much younger than them. He's so inexperienced. He doesn't have a knowledge of the art world. However, he has a car and for the planned art heist that this gang of bohemians have planned, um, they intend to steal Picasso's weeping woman from the NGV. So Tom doesn't seem to mind them taking advantage of his vehicle, especially as he's able to endear himself further to the woman he absolutely adores. And so he naively goes along for the ride, so to speak. Much of this book is based on real life events that Womersley has woven into this fictional tale. The book is amazing. The true parts are the Cairo apartment buildings. They're on Nicholson Street opposite um, the Carlton gardens built in 1936 and this really beautiful kind of a horseshoe shape so there's a courtyard in the middle there's a rooftop where you can see um where you could certainly see the city views um a dear friend of mine lived in an apartment there so and we had been to visit her a number of times when she lived there um so I felt like I was inside Tom's apartment when he was talking about the galley kitchen and the circular window on the front door I have seen all of those things and I totally felt present uh, like I was a presence in his apartment as he was doing so much thinking 
thinking about all of the kind of mess he was getting himself into and, you know, as the art heist progressed, it wasn't just stealing the painting, then it was forging the painting and, and then trying to sell the painting. And so as all of these kind of twists and turns took place, he spent a lot of time in his apartment kind of thinking about what he was doing and grappling with his conscience and I felt like I was right there with him. The other true part of this story, which is a remarkable story in itself, is that Picasso's The Weeping Woman was really stolen from the NGV in 1986. This is a true fact, people. Uh, So according to newspaper reports from that time, the NGV paid over a million dollars for the painting, which was the largest amount of money that any Australian art gallery had ever paid for any artwork. So a group calling it the Australian Cultural Terrorists claimed responsibility for the theft and made a number of demands on the arts minister at the time and the gallery director, including increased funding for the local art scene and then after a few weeks of the painting being missing, an anonymous source tipped off the police and the age um, to say that the painting was in a locker at Spencer Street Station, which is now Southern Cross Station, and they found it. I think it was um, locker 227 in the end. Um, So they found the painting undamaged. It was returned to the gallery and it remains unsolved. It's a fantastic story. I love this about Melbourne. (laughs) I love that there's this group of people that just decided that they were going to uh, do a very non-violent... Yeah, what a protest. <laughs> ...protest. It's fantastic. And you know that the uh, in the end they tipped off this uh, journalist, Margaret Simons, who... At the age, yeah. 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 And she now works at the University of Melbourne and uh, she still talks about the day that she gets this call and it seems so unbelievable to her that uh, that someone's just ringing up and saying, hey, if you want to know where the picture is, here it is. And she didn't believe it for one second. She thought it was, compl- you know, a, a joke. Mm-hmm. And but thought she should just go and check it out, just because, you know, she's a thorough type of woman, and it would be terrible if she didn't. And well, there, she's a journalist. She's, she's a journalist. She's following her lead. She she didn't believe it for one second though, and uh, so she just sort of toddled up to the station, and <laughs> there it was. Incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Amazing. I had the absolute pleasure of attending a Melbourne Writers' Festival event with um, Chris Womersley when Cairo first came um. out, and he was in conversation, and I am so sorry that I can't remember the gentleman's name who was uh, in conversation with, but he had been uh, on the radio in 1986 when all of that was going down, and he basically turned to Chris and uh, Womersley and said, you you must know something because, you know, this reads like it is what actually happened. This is believable to me based on all my memories and understanding of the events of the time. And it was just fascinating. And, of course, um, Chris Womersley was like, well, no, it's fiction. <laughs> but it was just fabulous. And I love the book too. It, it's such beautiful language. And you know I love his second book, Bereft. Yes, I do. I do know Which is a gorgeous, that. gorgeous book. And I love Cairo nearly as much. The uh, the descriptions of Melbourne on a hot summer's day just really got to me. Yep. And the just beautiful, beautiful language that he uses. And then, of course, this great heist story as mm. well, this adventure story, coming-of-age story. It's, it's just, totally captivating. Yeah. I forgot that Tom was 17. I know. You do forget by the end, don't you? Main character 17 and involved in this incredible world. So naive, but he's so thoughtful. Like, his inner monologue reads like a much older person. Yeah. Anyway, it's absolutely worth a read. It's fantastic. Cairo by Chris Womersley. Uh, Justine. Melbourne book number two for you today. Okie dokie. So my second pick for Melbourne books is a book that just came out this year. It is by one of my favourite authors, favourite Melbourne writers, Our Tiny Useless Hearts by Tony Jordan. I love Tony Jordan's books and this was no exception. It's a story about families, about relationships, and it's set across one weekend in the suburbs. So... 
Henry has ended his marriage to Caroline and headed off to Noosa with their daughter's grade three teacher, Martha. Caroline, having shredded a wardrobe full of Henry's suits, has gone after them because she deserves a holiday too. (laughs) Craig and Leslie have dropped over briefly from next door to catch up on the fallout from Henry and Caroline's all-night row. And Janice, Caroline's sister, is staying for the weekend to look after the girls because Janice is the sensible one. She's a microbiologist with a job she loves, a fervent belief in the beauty of the scientific method and a determination to make a solo life after her divorce from Alec. Janice is our narrator. Then, Craig from next door returns through the bedroom window, expecting a tryst with Caroline, and finds Janice in her bed instead. Leslie storms in from next door with a jealous heart and a mouthful of threats. Henry, Caroline and Martha arrive back from the airport in separate taxis, and then there's Brayden, the pizza guy. (laughs) Janice can cope with all of that, but when Alec knocks on the door, things suddenly get complicated. So Tony Jordan has brought wit and flair to this hilarious tale to create a farce worthy of the stage. There are plenty of screwball moments, bedroom capers, cross-dressing, and sex, of course, all cantering along through the pages of this book. But what shines through this comedic tale is a story about marriage, about love, about the search for happiness, ours and others, as well as a dissection of family. It's funny with a heart, it would make a great movie, and it really brings with it the feeling of living in the suburbs of Melbourne, the claustrophobia of neighbours who know your business and family just around the corner. I've actually already lent my copy to my mum. It's a great read and a whole lot of fun and I thoroughly recommend it. That's Our Tiny Useless Hearts by Tony Jordan. So, Chris, what's your next pick? So, my next book is by a wonderful Melbourne author. It's her debut. It's called... uh, Her name is Zoe Morrison and the book is called Music and Freedom. At... Zoe Morrison, I think we can expect enormous things from. This is a woman who is so incredibly smart. She was a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, she is a, a musician. She works in uh, domestic violence sort of areas. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Alice Murray learns to play the piano age three on an orange orchard in rural Australia. Recognising her daughter's gift, her mother sends Alice to boarding school in England and there Alice stays for the rest of her childhood. Then she's offered a scholarship to the Royal College of Music in London and on a summer school in Oxford she meets Edward, an economics professor who sweeps her off her feet. Alice soon finds that Edward is damaged and she's trapped. She clings to her playing and to her dream of becoming a concert pianist until disaster strikes. Increasingly isolated as the years unravel, eventually Alice finds that she cannot carry on. Then she hears the most beautiful music through the walls of her house. And through this music and through a new friendship, she finds her ability to be strong, determined. Uh, She finds her way out of England and comes all the way back over to Australia. Always throughout her life, she's terribly homesick. And the way that Zoe can talk about the smells of Australia, the wide open skies of our rural sort of landscape, the way that uh, different smells can bring a different emotion on is quite breathtakingly beautiful. Zoe Morrison is one of these authors, one of these sort of extraordinary authors that has the ability in one simple line to bring something to your heart. You know, mm. there, there are times when I was reading this book where I had to put it down, 
just move away, make myself a cup of tea slowly. You know, mm-hmm. when you just have to yep. sort of get just in, quite involved in your in your thoughts so that you can process what you have just read. She does describe domestic violence throughout the, the book, but the book is not about domestic violence. It's about a woman who is uh, finding her feet, however long that takes. Mm. Uh, Zoe just lives very close to uh, where we're all located right now. She's uh, someone that is going to continue to write. She is uh, friends with people like Alice Pang. And actually this mm. this book in some ways reminds me of some of Alice's writing, uh, perhaps Anna Goldsworthy's writing, yep. the, those sort of authors that can bring a soundtrack to the novel, yep. uh, the most beautiful, beautiful piano sort of uh, uh, songs that you can imagine. And she is pacing this book all the way through as if you two were in the concert with Alice. Wow. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. I think that we are going to see something quite amazing with this author. Also, I've met her and she's lovely. It's always a bonus, isn't it? <laughs> always a bonus. Uh, so if you like the sort of the stories of Anna Goldsworthy or Alice Pang, then this, Zoe Morrison's Music and Freedom, is the next book that you should reach out to. It's published by Penguin and it's out now. I'd recommend you check your handbag on the way out to make sure I haven't stolen it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds beautiful. And having experienced living overseas for a significant amount of time and then coming home and sitting on the plane and seeing those wide open spaces and really feeling like I was home and then getting off the plane at Melbourne and smelling that Melbourne smell, which I'm sure oh. is, you know, potentially no different from any other airport. But for me, it's not like home. And it I really, I, I, I resonate with that. So Absolutely. do I. I've also lived mm. overseas and I remember being terribly homesick and uh, going to, an, to a, a library in England and just looking at the Australian section <laughs> with sort of a longingness that was really uh, n- not healthy, I wouldn't have thought, not healthy at all. But this book mm. also describes that intense physical homesickness. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Connection to place, it's mm. so important. Mm-hmm. All right, Natalie. Yes, Justine. Last Melbourne book for us today, please. Okay. Have you guys read The Holiday Murders by Robert Gott? No. No, but I, I do know Robert, and he's a terrific bloke as well. <laughs> I like him. He's funny. Well, I'm going to have to be careful now. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I like you too, Robert. I really do. <laughs> um, Robert is the creative of Adventures of Naked Man, the cartoon okay. that runs in the newspaper. It's really funny cartoon, super funny. It's been running for a very long time now, hasn't 800 it? years. I think at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is nothing funny about this book. Oh. Nothing funny about the holiday murders. It is crime fiction and it is ramped to the nth degree. It's bleak. Is that what you're saying? It's um, violent. Oh. Like ex- explicitly violent. I found it so hard to read. I... Um, Uh, convene the Melbourne Book Club at City Library. So we meet monthly and we discuss books that are set in Melbourne. And this is one of the books we discussed earlier this year. So if I wasn't, A, running the book club or, B, you know, forced to attend because it's my (laughs) job, I would have not finished this book. I found it just far too much for me. But, it's you know, each to their own. I'm not a big crime reader and I 
cannot stomach violence. I can't do it on TV. I can't do it in movies. And I really struggle with it when it's in books. Um, Anyway, I drove. I dove straight in, thinking it was a straight up and down crime fiction. You know, we've read Kerry Greenwood's um, Earthly Delights. We've read some Peter Temple. I was sure that this was going to be another kind of straight up and down crime fiction set in Melbourne. And boy, was I! <laughs> I was I scared? Um, I really did read it quickly, though. It is a page turner, but some pages felt like they were covered in lead, trying to chain, like, trying to turn them over. All blood. Um, look, I mean. <laughs> I'll get to it. <laughs> the writing doesn't get in the way of the story, however. The story is there, it's plain, it's on the page. It's a page-turner. For people into crime fiction, this is an excellent book. It, it might not have just been for me. Um, trigger warnings galore. There is all kinds of violence in this book. Sexual violence, um, uh, there's murder, there's, you know, there's crucifixion, there's beheading, there's oh, really, like, gruesome kind of... Um, uh, violence. Um, it's not for the faint-hearted. And I guess, you know what I learned? I learned that I'm squeamish. That's what I learned <laughs> reading this book, particularly when it comes to reading about fascism, anti-Semitism, murders, rapes, bashings and tortures. Unfortunately for me, it read realistic and worse. It's likely to be a historically accurate depiction of Melbourne in 1943 during the Second World War with the rise of political parties called Australian Patriots and Our Nation, which sadly reflects some of what's going on in our current political climate. Um, the twist at the end of the book, however, is gentle and it makes the book clever. It mm. truly does. So despite me having a hard time reading it, the book really is brilliant. I can't say I enjoyed reading it because of this, my squeamishness, um, but for anyone with a st stronger constitution than me and who any anyone who really enjoys a clever crime fiction, I cannot recommend this highly enough. There's a sequel called The Port Fairy Murders, but I love Port Fairy and I just <laughs> could not read anything about it that would be too gruesome. It's such a delightful little town, so I just can't. I'm sorry, Robert, I can't go for um, the sequel, but I would recommend this book, but if you're a bit squeamish about violence and you know, all that sort of stuff, you you might want to give it a miss. I don't know. What do you guys think? Would you read it based on my... I would read it. I am no good with violence. Okay. <laughs> I'm absolutely... I'm Some out. Some people are I'm fine. Out. Yeah, I'm out yeah. too. I go through phases. Sometimes I just want that gentle, like the Kerry Greenwood, you know, the gentle murder mysteries or Kate Morton, which are, you know, lovely but more mystery. I mean, there's murder, but it's not really the main thing. But then I get, okay, I'm good again and I can go for the blood and the gore and the whatever, so confronting it certainly made me think thanks robert um it's called the holiday murders by robert got will you tell him that i liked it <laughs> i will tell him <laughs> but that i struggled a bit uh, that's, that's a true truth you can't love everything you can't you love everything but i still would recommend it people into crime absolutely mm -hmm. could probably stomach it better than me well, what a wonderful array of, of books we've talked about today. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. Such a pleasure. So, thank you so much for having me. Not at all. But You're before welcome. we go, we do want to know, burning question, what are you reading now? Mm. I'm reading the most fantastic book by another debut uh, called Wood Green. And uh, his name is Sean Rabin. And it is a book set in Tasmania. And it has a... Uh, it centres on a well-established author who is seemingly dying and he hires an aspiring author to come and sort out his paperwork mm. up in the hills in Tasmania. And there's a sort of a, a list of characters there dotted around this small town, Woodgreen, 
that are not unlike something that you might encounter in, say, Midsummer Murders. Sounds interesting. Say no more, but say heaps more. (laughs) (laughs) Next time, get it. Next (laughs) time. So that's our show. Um, You can read our show notes, including a list of the books we discussed on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. Hey, Christine. Thanks for joining us. Oh, so much fun, actually. So much fun. Thank (laughs) you very much. It was our pleasure. You can tweet us at Melb Library with the hashtag Dear Reader or join the conversation on Goodreads. Don't forget you can download Dear Reader episodes, past and present, at SoundCloud or iTunes. Just search for Melbourne Library Service. You can subscribe as well. And please go and check out our reviews on iTunes and perhaps add one of your own or give us a rating. We love to hear if you've been enjoying the show or not. We're fine with that too. Just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Also, the groovy music on our program is by Ben Mason. Check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au and until next time dear reader thanks for listening